0: Not only are we not sure what we're creating, I think we're also not sure why. Why do we need ChatGPT? Not to say it's not useful, it can be useful for many things. But the question is, when we decide to build a, a technology, is it because we think it's cool? Or is it because we think it's gonna be helpful? There's so many problems in the world that are dire. You know and i think we need to use more of the intellectual and physical resources that we have to address those problems rather than coming up with tools that we think are just cool
1: hello everyone welcome to another episode of the d data channel podcast i'm your host deepak and with me we have revit dotan revit is an ai researcher and advocate for responsible ai governance she is the Co-Founder and Director of the Collaborative AI Responsibility Lab at the University of Pittsburgh and a Responsible AI advocate at BRI AI. Her work has been recognized by top publications and she has named one of the hundred brilliant women in uh, AI ethics in 2023. 20, With a PhD in Philosophy from UC Berkeley, Ravid brings a unique perspective to the conversations around AI ethics. It's a pleasure to have you here today, Revit, and uh, thank you for accepting my invitation.
0: Yeah, I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Deepak.
1: Really glad to hear. So my first question, so how can we ensure that the implementation of AI ethics is not merely a performative act of moral posturing, but it is grounded in genuine moral principles uh, that respects the interest of all stakeholders involved?
0: Okay, thank you so much for this question. I think that this question is the question of the day in AI ethics. So just before I answer, just to explain why I think this question is so important. There is currently an explosion of principles, mission statements, basically wish lists of how we want our AI to look like. We've been seeing those coming up, I think it started around 2016. um, And we've been having more and more of them. There are hundreds of them now, maybe even thousands. But survey after survey shows that companies are not really implementing them. So statistics range between, uh, for example, for fairness, around 20% of companies implement any fairness processes. Um, So that's really low, especially relative to the high-powering AI ethics. Uh, Unfortunately, the statistics also show that there isn't really progression over time. Um, there is a little bit, but it's really negligible, so the question is how do we move a i f x to something that is actually done rather than in a wish list uh mission statement and i you know there are many approaches to this. I think it's gonna take a combination of three things: one, I do think we need regulation. I don't necessarily think that Well, some new regulation is needed, but also actually the existing regulation applies to AI already, and there needs to be more enforcement of that. So, For example, in the U.S., we see regulatory bodies like the FTC coming up with statements saying, hey, remember our laws, like our non-discrimination laws, our laws about explainability and financial decisions? They actually apply to AI as well. We didn't say... You can't discriminate unless you're using AI, right? We said you cannot discriminate. It doesn't really matter which technology you're using. So we need more attention from enforcement for the laws that we already have. For some technologies, we also are going to need new laws, but laws are never going to be enough, um, because the laws are always going to lag behind the technology, um, you know, it's it's always going to take a minute, but we don't really have this minute when it comes to a technology that advances as quickly as AI does. And also regulation just can't do everything we need it to do. Um, there are many opinions, you know, especially here in the U.S. People are unsure what the role of the state should be, um, how much, I mean, <laughs> uh, to say it better, people have different attitudes towards regulation versus, say, Europe, right, I think. Regulators should be more involved. So regulation is just not going to cover everything we need. For me, I turn to the financial sector as potential additional motivation. I think when people talk about AI ethics, they sometimes envision some kind of engineer in some kind of back office. And it's as if we can point to that person and say, hey, you, you back there, do better. Just like take this tool, take this open source furnace tool and just like apply it solve. But reality is not like that. Uh, The reality is that engineers are embedded within tech companies that have priorities, that have resources. Something needs to happen to the prioritization in the tech company. It's not about pushing resources on them. It's about helping them reorganize their priorities. How do you do that? Just as we can't point a finger to an imaginary engineer in the back of a room (laughs) saying, do better. It's also not entirely realistic to do that to a tech company, you know, especially not giant ones and say, hey, you tech company, you know, just do better. Because the reality is tech companies are embedded within larger ecosystems of motivations, of incentives, of constraints. It's difficult for them to just magically do things differently if they don't have support from the entire financial system around them, including investors, buyers of AI, so procurement, insurance companies, Um, all of those actors are supporting companies financially. If they are not aligned with AI responsibility, it is going to be very difficult for companies to change how they do things. So in addition to more enforcement and regulation, um, appropriately, I'm not saying like all regulation goes. I know that, you know, uh, some people are resistant to that and I'm not pushing back right now. Um, But I'm saying we need to find a way to align the financial system that supports the tech companies. And for me, the way to do that um, is to do two things. One is coming up with uh, tools, right to help the to help those to help those financial institutions because it's it's difficult as it is for tech companies to figure out how to develop AI responsibly. It is more difficult for those financial actors because they're not typically experts in AI, right? So, you're not gonna be able to dissect those data sets. they are not gonna be able to look into those models technically. So what can they do? I think they need tools. The tools I think they need are around examining the governance in those tech companies, which brings us back you know, to close the circle to those tech companies. A lot of the resources that are developed today are about, let's come up with tools, let's come up with principles, It's good, we need it, but also companies need a way to measure where they are in terms of responsibility, how mature they are in AI responsibility and improving that. I don't think we have enough concrete, practical, usable, and empirically based recommendations for what companies can do. If we do have responsible advice for governance, that means that the tech companies can figure out how to improve if they want to <laughs> how to improve their governance, and then financial actors, say investors, they can also be better equipped to look into those tech companies and figure out where they stand, motivate them financially to do better, and even and even support them. So to go back to your question, what do we do? To push AI ethics to more implementation, I think push out enforcement is important. Um, regulation when needed, is important. Pushing the financial system to pitch in is crucial, I think. And coming up with concrete, practical, intellectually responsible recommendations for recommendations for AI governance to inform both the tech companies and the investors.
1: Right, right. So you did touch upon a lot of aspects related to effectively adopting AI into the business and you did point out so many aspects actually on how we can effectively uh, bring this AI ethics into practice. So my next question. So when it comes to the decision making or the inference part of the entire module, what ethical guidelines can be actually put into practice or can be requested to implement? In these kind of aspects to kind of address some of these ethical concerns
0: okay so you're saying you're asking about the decision making process in the company or in the model itself
1: in in the company in the company
0: in the company okay um so you're asking given the complexity of tech companies and how they make their decisions what can we do in the tech company how can we improve the governance okay yes okay I'm gonna start with the non-engineers. I think a lot of the principles that we're seeing are about the AI systems themselves, right? They're about, oh, let's make the systems fair, yada, yada, yada explainable, and all of that jazz, right? Um, I wanna start from a different direction. I think that when we think of the tech company, we need to think about how it operates as a whole, right? If we're thinking about priorities, units like sales, marketing, customer success, these are actually pivotal to AI ethics because these departments are the eyes and ears of the organization. They communicate with the outside. They are able to hear stakeholders, hear their concerns, and import those concerns into the prioritization of the company. Um, and so I would actually start with Those kind of units, Um, they can give both the carrot and the stick um, and they need to be a part of the efforts. And so for me, when I'm thinking of how to encourage companies to do better, I'm not necessarily thinking about, oh, let's give them a list of like which principles are going to be best, but rather let's understand how this company works. Let's understand how something becomes a priority and let's utilize that so An example, Um, if a company is considering, for example, implementing fairness practices, suppose it's considering that um, here's, here's something that, um, no, actually, I'm going to start differently. I'm going to start with a really, really small company. Like, let's start with a, let's start with a really small tech company that it's, you know, trying to find its market fit. Um, those companies typically are gonna think that it's too soon to talk about AI ethics. They're totally wrong. It's exactly the time to think about AI ethics. It's also easier than they might think because when a company is trying to understand its market fit, here's what it's gonna do. It's gonna do customer discovery. It's gonna talk to people. It's gonna try to find those pain points. Um, Since you're already gonna be talking to people, why not also talk to people about concerns about the negative impact that this technology could have on them, just listen and write it down as you do with other concerns. Um, and also, could you intentionally find use cases for your technology that are going to have a positive social impact? So these are things you can do within your customer discovery as you get started. If you do that, then you tie in AI ethics into your business model. And then it's not an add-on. And then it is something that you will get to because you're, known, you're not seeing it as an afterthought. Then as the company grows, now you know it used to be customer discovery that the CEO did is now a marketing department, is now customer success, is now sales. Those kind of conversations can carry on. Talk to your prospective customers, right? Talk to your audience in as part of your marketing efforts, see what concerns them, import this into your prioritization. Um yeah, okay, I could go on, but I'll pause. I think (laughs) I'm going to go
1: on and on. Right. So uh, in this regard, like, um, yeah, regarding the development aspect, like how can we ensure that our ethical decisions are not overly prescriptive or restrictive while still providing sufficient guidelines to the AI developers and users?
0: Okay. So you mean um, the ethical decisions of the engineer themselves or the principals? uh, Uh, uh,
1: with, With the developers. So while, while developing, like what what kind of uh, rules or kind of perception we give to the developers so that they are not actually really, what to say, getting overwhelmed with, okay, on one side, they need to develop and on the other right. side, they need to kind of balance. So.
0: Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, I think... Um, if we're thinking about the engineering team themselves, something that's really crucial for them is kind of ethics reviews, right? So when we think of the life cycle of a feature, it starts maybe someone with an idea wanting to develop a feature, but then a decision needs to be made. Is this feature gonna be developed or not? Um, At that time, there might be various kinds of reviews. Does the company have resources to develop this? Does it fit the business model? These are questions that people will often ask. Why not also ask at the same time yeah, what is going to be the social risk here? How could it harm people? And then how could it also harm the company, you know, via like bad press? Um, think of those questions at the very beginning. You might decide to not develop a feature because it's not worth it. Or you might decide to develop the feature, but you understand from the get-go the risks that it involves and the guardrails that you're going to have to implement. But of course, it doesn't end at this You know, suppose you do decide to develop this feature, have more touch points about that later on, especially, you know, before it goes online. And then even after it goes online, um, find ways to monitor it. So in in that way, you see, it's not that the engineer has to do the entire moral kind of ethical, social, whatever thought process. No, there are people who are going to be a part of that. It's going to be a group effort, but there are going to be points where the engineer is going to need to stop and think and consult with others. Because I, I totally agree. It's, it's, it's not as if we want the engineers to do everything. It's also not as if the engineers, you know, social read or like ethical is like the, it's just, it's one person doing their job um, and other people need to, need to chime in. So I guess that's just an example of one thing, uh, but there are many others as well.
1: Right, right. I, I totally agree to that point. Actually, and and this regarding one experience which I recently had, like um, when it came to so one of the point which you mentioned regarding the development. So maybe like, I really don't know. This is my personal experience. So recently, I've been reached out to a particular application, uh, to work with a particular application on voice cloning.
0: About what? Sorry.
1: Voice voice cloning. Voice cloning. cloning. Real time okay. voice cloning. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we give a reference voice and. We give a text, and we uh, so we just record a very like okay. Imagine I'm recording your thirty seconds footage, just sound, and You're I'm giving recording
0: the whole hour of me now. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm
1: just giving a, a reference text along with this reference voice. Then we are cloning that uh, voice. Okay. Yeah. So when I first saw this, uh, when I first heard this proposal, I clearly asked them. Is it even eth- ethical or is it even, do we need to build that? Um, so then the, uh, so what happened is like, when we researched a bit, there are so many paid services which are, which are actually doing this. Like there are a lot of paid softwares and so, okay, fine. We are doing this, but at least we need to provide an ethics statement and a disclaimer. So I was compelling for that, for our application. <laughs> then I was yeah. trying to see whether these paid softwares has any of these kind of disclaimer Mm -hmm. so if i am the owner of that software the moment we open that web page i will put a disclaimer so and so things can be used for so and so things so please be careful like or yeah please use it wisely. something like that or even a code of conduct or even some ethical guidelines on how to effectively use it so do's and don'ts we should definitely provide it yeah but i
0: haven't
1: but I haven't seen anything (laughs) in any of the websites. So, yeah, so, and and when it comes to, so in that regard, uh, a developer can ask the question back, like, okay, do we need to develop it? But ultimately the decision is not with the developer to roll out the thing. So that's something which you rightly called out.
0: Exactly, this is a great example. This is exactly, I think this is a situation that a lot of people encounter, Um, not definitely engineers, not just engineers, it could be anyone in the company because it is, it is a decision that a company makes, which is why I think more attention needs to be put on, on the organization as a whole. And let me add some things. This is a great example, actually, voice cloning, uh, because it can be really dangerous. And also, it's just a couple of weeks ago I I did a deep dive into like googling all the voice cloning services I could find. <laughs> um, but let's 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 talk about voice cloning. Like um, here's how the process could look like if we say do a feature review for voice cloning. Right? We would say, okay, here are some risks. How you know? Do some a red team exercise. Yes, this could be used for deep fakes. Here's an issue. <laughs> um, and I think voice deepfakes can be so convincing. Um, <laughs> I, I, because I, I detect less anomalies than I do with video and audio. And with video and, um, and, and stills. But yeah. But deepfakes is, of course, only one of the issues. Another issue is bias, right? What if our voice cloning only works for people who speak English without an accent? Unlike me. Um, you know, so here, you know, off the cuff, just two risks that are very salient. Um, suppose we go ahead and decide to develop it anyway because we need it for a company, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, a statement of protection would be a very, very minimal step because it would basically just say, hey, don't blame us. Um, But I think there are certain guardrails that could be put in place if you decide to do that. For example, one of the voice-cloning services that I saw had a limitation of only 30 seconds uh, that users could do for free. You know, it's an easy hack to just do 30 seconds over and over again and compile like a two-minute conversation that could be very incriminating for someone, but still better something than nothing, I would say. so you can, you know, as a company, think of guardrails if you do this process and have this review committee. Um, and then the other thing for fairness, right, um, there, you know, some companies are limited with training because we take a lot, they take a lot from open source tools. That's pretty standard. Uh, so they can't really change the training often, uh, but they can we can change things if they test on a data set that is diverse. Um, so they can choose fairness measures and and test. So and now going back to marketing and sales and all that, because I think companies, again, probably everyone except for the giant companies are in survival mode <laughs> a lot of the time. And I think things like AI ethics, it, it's easy for them to fall into the bucket of important but not urgent. So even if people in the company, they genuinely believe it's important, but they can't get to it because they keep getting, you know, the clients are like, oh, there's a bug. You have to solve this bug. Of course, it's going to take precedence. And so if a company, you know, decides now to develop this voice planning but it wants to do it responsibly, but it's difficult because it's getting all those pressures, some bugs that need to be fixed for clients, how is it going to create those other pressures for itself? Here's where marketing can really be helpful. I think people are used to demonizing marketing, but it's a really helpful tool for pushing the company in, in a positive direction because if the company had decided now to decide on a fairness benchmark, right? Now their marketing team can like do an event or something in which they will announce it. And now all of a sudden there is an external deadline for something that there just wasn't an external deadline for, you see? And so you and and the company is getting something which makes sense. Like it is a for-profit company. Um and so you see, just like getting the entire system in there.
1: Right, right. Yeah, this this, this is actually a very important topic, and maybe it it, it requires a separate podcast <laughs> episode itself because yeah, like we can we can debate and discuss a lot about this particular aspect and yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. So Um, Over to the next aspect, like some of the fundamental challenges in uh, this kind of AI application. So like uh, challenges which are being raised with bias, discrimination, inequality, uh, decision making. So like uh, how can we address all these kind of challenges in um, high-stake applications?
0: Tough question. (laughs) Okay. How can we address all of those challenges in high-stake situations? I don't think there's an easy answer for that. Um, Okay, I'll say the complicated answer. Um, I think there's um, a hope of universal solution that could be scaled up and everything would just be fixed. I don't think we really have that. (laughs) Um, I don't think this is the kind of area in which those solutions are to be found. Um, Yeah. So I would just go back to things that I've already said because I think um, to really address those issues, we're going to need to utilize many of the forces of the market. I, as I said, am especially interested in the financial motivation Um, and i want to add something to that there's a risk here we have many countries and many cultures in the world they each have their own context their own values Um, we here's a risk right countries you know, Europe is coming up with the EUAI Act. Uh, people think that it could have a global impact. That I think it's likely that it would have global impact like GDPR. What will it do? It is it is a law that is based on a European value system, which makes total sense. It's a law that they're making for themselves. Of course, you're going to use your own values. Um, but if it's having a global impact, what happens to other countries that have different values. And, and we've already seen that other countries have values that may conflict. For example, African communities have communitarian values often. Um, they conflict with individualistic values. And so there have been criticisms about principles like autonomy in bioethics and also in AI ethics that are individualistic, but then there's just not a good fit for those, say, African communities. And I believe there are many more of those. So whatever we do here in the West to address problems like bias, fairness, privacy, or like whatever it is with AI, I don't know what's the easy fix, but I do know it's not going to be universal. Um, and one of the reasons is those complications. How do we how do we apply principles that are about ethics, that are about worldviews? in a way that makes sense to countries all over the world, even though countries all over the world have very, very different contexts and value systems. Um, And so that's why I'm thinking not scale, not universal, local in particular, Um, perhaps a global movement of local activism. Yeah.
1: So over to my next question. Maybe this is something which I really wanted to ask you. So um, I also work in Uh, domain centric projects. So you did mention you you are actually into financial domain more. So uh, I mainly work on environmental and natural assets data and uh, like, and part on ESG as well. So uh, when it comes to domain centric data, do you think that uh, developing context specific approaches that are sensitive works for like each domain as a separate, uh, what to say, like we build the components required for one domain and whether the AI ethics still in, like hold for these kind of contextualized or domain-centric um, AI solutions.
0: Oh, interesting. So let me see if I understand. In my previous response, I talked about the context of countries and how principles may not transmit from one geographic context to another. True. But I think, yeah, you're asking what about the sector context? Correct. Uh, our principles yeah 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 i think they don't carry uh in general because you know people ask me a lot what are the most important ai risks or what are the most important ai ethics principles and the reality is that it really depends on the use case um, so i'll give a few examples in the financial sector since you mentioned it explainability is really really important in fact it's 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 the law in many countries that when people Get your alone denied, they must be given an explanation for why that happened. So explainability is really important and sometimes also required by law. In other, in other areas of AI, explainability could be helpful, but it is not as important. Um, so if you think of generative AI, for example, yes, it could be helpful to know why. The strength of here is like that direction. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating. I do think some of the explainability could be helpful, but less so. On the other hand, when it comes to generative AI, copyright becomes really important, right? Because you train the system on some data, but but what ha- what happened to the copyright? And I think because generative AI wasn't as much in people's consciousness until, you know, like six months ago, Many of the ethics principles, they don't really talk about copyright. But why? It's not because it's less important. It's just because that use case was less salient. You know, go back to finance, though. Copyright? Yeah, like not not as much of a thing. Um, so that's why I'm thinking every industry, every use case requires its own attention. It's not necessarily going to be the same risks. Um, having said that, some some risk areas have been um very prominent in conversations across sectors fairness and bias is one of them and transparency is another um so there are some things that seem to be uh you know very prevalent but still each sector needs its own attention i think
1: right right so um So in terms of uh, transparency and accountability, so I I would say these are the two aspects which every enterprise mainly focus on and in terms of what they're building and and this has become more important as you mentioned about explainability. So because uh, now we need to explain, so an engineer needs to explain to their team leads, maybe they need to explain it to their uh, business leads Business leads to, should explain the solutions to their clients and even clients to their partners and so and so. So, in terms of these kind of aspects, but like most of these algorithms, most of these models are in fact hard to explain in many cases. It's not really uh, what to say. Okay, let's take a simple algorithm, like simpler algorithm. I'm not saying simple algorithm. Let's take decision tree or like some machine learning algorithm which we can easily interpret like okay given some conditions so and so branching is happening so and so fine but when it comes to these kind of large models like which recently kind of evolved it 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 requires so much attention and like it requires so much explanations as well in terms of the output final output so in this regard like maybe the accountability or even like trans transparency like okay there is a limit up to which we can make it transparent like apart from that i don't i don't think like how it can be kind of uh, made transparent so do you think that these kind of acts or kind of policies will be able to address these kind of issues or is it still a complicated scenario or do we need to kind of repurpose what we are looking for like in terms of like we cannot explain everything but we can actually explain some uh, portion of that particular thing or what what it's finally Required for a client to understand, like because the client doesn't have to understand the every single part of it. Like, so, so what, what what is your take on it, and whether these kind of policies and regulations will oversee like these kind of uh, issues in terms of developments?
0: Okay, great question. So, here's how I'm understanding it explainability in machine learning can be really tough. So, if we're using some model types like the season trees, it's easier. But if you're using deep learning, yeah, it's going to be very complicated. Um, so what do we do about that? <laughs> um, and what, what is the role of regulation in, in navigating that that terrain? So I want to say, here's what I'm seeing um, anecdotally, just from you know people that I'm talking to. Since we, I live in the US, so there is regulation here requiring explanations for financial decisions. Um, what I'm seeing is two approaches, either financial organizations choosing to intentionally only use very simple models because it is the regulation. It does apply to them. If, if you know, if, if they don't comply, they're going to be fined or whatever it is that happens. Uh, and um, so they it is affecting them sometimes to choose very basic models. Another influence that I'm seeing is companies in again in the financial sector just companies that th- this is their business, creating that explainability. And if not explainability, at least, um, so why do people need, wh- why do people want explainability? There are many reasons. Here's one reason, you wanna make sure that the decision that was made about you was made for the right reasons. So I don't want it to be the case that I didn't get the loan because I'm a woman, right? Um, so people are hearing that aspect of explainability. And if they can't give me full explainability, you didn't get the loan because X, Y, Z, they want to at least show it's not the case that you didn't get the loan because you're a woman, right? So they're coming at it from the, from the, from the, very, from the angle of, of fairness and, and testing how the model reacts to different kinds of people. Um, and sometimes it could be enough in certain situations for certain financial actors. Uh, or at least it could help. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know if there's a way around that because regulation is what it is.
1: True, true. So um, when it comes to, again, when it comes to the development, like how can we foster a culture of ethical awareness and responsibility among AI developers and users and what are the challenges of implementing such a culture?
0: Okay. Because we normally questions. talk
1: about the business key decision makers policy holders who are actually in control but okay when it comes to the ground level so how can we kind of build that kind of a culture
0: yeah i think it starts with the education that engineers get in institutions such as universities here's how it's currently going today Uh, a person will do a degree in for example computer science Um, maybe In the last year of the degree, they will have an elective course about ethics. (laughs) Maybe. Um, Not necessarily any kind of training, uh, but also it will be optional and, you know, last. What does the engineer learn from that? That it's not important, that it comes last, and that it is optional. Um, Even if the course is great, you see there's something about the subliminal messaging here. Um, that makes it kind of someone else's problem, not my main business as an engineer. Here's another model. Um, integrate AI ethics questions into, um, existing syllabi. So not a standalone course that comes at the end, but rather you have a course, whatever name, <laughs> I'm blanking on names here. Uh, but you know, some course. Um, and they'll have a unit about ethics at the end. Uh, but of course, if there isn't enough time, uh, guess what? What's not going to happen? That unit. Also, guess when the students are not going to be focused because they're studying for their final? It's that unit. Um, that model in a way is better because at least they are not getting it like completely, you know, uh, optionally, but it sends the same message of. When you think about social consequences, that's somehow like fluff, that's not our main business. It comes at the end, only if we have time. And then you're not surprised when the engineers are gonna carry out this mentality into their workplace. So the way that I think it should be done, um, similar to math, uh, so it should be a part of every course. And I'll, I'll I'll explain how with an analogy. For me, my undergrad was physics and chemistry. Um, I needed to know a lot of math, but I wasn't a math major, but still I needed to know it. Right. Um, so here's how they did it in all the courses, all the physics courses, I just learned the math, you know, just, they just taught me the math as a part of the curriculum. And then I also had separate courses, um, to expand, for example, introduction to, um, um, mechanics you need differential equations, <laughs> you just need it. To... <laughs> um, but it was the first semester, right? Like I didn't have time to like take intro to like differential equations yet. So the professor in that class just taught us the basics of differential equations. I didn't really know what I was doing, uh, but I could do like one basic equation. Next semester, I had a standalone class in that topic. I learned to do integrals like much, much better. Um, and then I continued to solve differential equations and integrals in all of my courses. And I also had standalone, you know, math classes in which I like honed my skills of integrals even more and <laughs> learned to love them. I really did. <laughs> um, but you see, it's kind of the same. You have some material that you do need a separate education and understanding the social impacts of what you do. But it needs to be a part of each and every course that you're taking because it's a part of what you do. So the question is how. Here's how I think it should happen. I think <laughs> in the problem sets themselves that engineers get, there should be questions about those social implications. Not not each and every one. You know, don't don't make it um. Don't make it seem you know un, irrelevant. Um, but it should just be part of the course. And and some educators already do that. So I think that's where it begins. That's where engineers can think of themselves as capable of understanding and thinking through social implications. They can learn to think that this is part of their job as engineers, not something to put aside. So that is something that needs to happen at the level of universities, colleges, and those institutions that grant certifications or like degrees. But of course, it's not the end because, yes, the person will be at university for three, four years, and then what? (laughs) Um, The same should be carried out in the workplace. Uh, And there are a number of ways it can happen. Um, They could offer, like, you know, training outside of the company. But I think, again, it should be a part of the core of what happens in the company. For example, what if once a month, uh, there's a conversation about the risk of our product, and it's just a forum for people to have a conversation for people to have common language to practice those skills and to start talking about them. So, what if there's a talk? you know um so some kind of ongoing training that signals hey, you know this is how you think about this um, that is key to awareness, those educational efforts both at the university level and at the company. But I want to add that as many other things, if things stay at the level of the company says it's important, but then nothing happens, I think a lot of people are going to internalize that it's not really important. We just say it's important, but not really. Um, I think to think that something is really important and this is something I'm researching currently, so it's a tentative answer, but I think people are going to need some KPIs, right? They're going to need some actual demands. You're going to need to see that the topic is actually prioritized in the day-to-day work. Um, and that, I think, is crucial for awareness because otherwise there's a risk of people thinking, yeah, we say it's important and we have like a fancy poster on the wall, but really, No.
1: So this is something which I recently had an experience with. Like my my colleague and um, she wants to step into data science, and I was just looking some courses for her actually. And um, then I then I saw in some other courses which it's, it's purely data science, machine learning courses in universities. And what we found is that like in many courses we have uh, the introduction subjects and everything, and it's it's mostly like universities do introductory courses and. Towards the end, like in very few, I think one or two universities. What there are some papers related to AI ethics and um, fairness. Okay, then I I was very curious because okay, good that they are actually teaching it. But what are they teaching? I want to understand. Then I I actually opened up their curriculum and then I understood like they are teaching about ethical policies, then GDPR, then something related to Data privacy, security, and even some probabilis- probabilistic methods to kind of maybe to explain the data and so on, and so Okay, which is good. But what I was confused at is, imagine uh, this paper. Even if it is elective or even it is a core paper, they are they are going to teach this for a introductory student. Okay. So what they will understand, actually, because I really don't know whether they will even understand even 10 percentage of what they are actually learning here. Like, I, I'm pretty sure they will understand till that point, like learning algorithms, learning models, how to build it, everything. But without witnessing what the real problem is, like, basically, like, because they don't have an exposure to the industry, like, they don't know what, why we need AI ethics. So why we need to even, so... So that's where I'm really wondering, like how they will be able to grasp when they are actually learning about all these important aspects. So, yeah, that's that's one thought which came to my mind when I really, yeah, saw these things.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the question is, OK, so we want to educate, but how do you do it effectively? Right. Yeah. OK. Um, so my background is philosophy. That was my Ph.D. And I also taught ethics classes and I can say what I think is not effective. (laughs) I don't think teaching high level principles or theories is effective for this purpose, Um, because that's another tendency that people have in my neck of the woods, right? Oh, we're going to teach them consequentialism or deontology. And they are going to learn how to like do AI ethics. But I, I just think it's not the case. I think, starting with very concrete examples of things that happened and then abstracting out can be really impactful, right? So if you, some really important examples that one could use, one is the compass recidivism algorithm. So recidivism is uh, calculating the chances that someone who committed a crime would commit a crime again. Compass was a is an algorithm, an AI algorithm that does that. And it was an expose about it in twenty sixteen by ProPublica. It was outrageous. Um just outrageous. Um, you know, the chances of being labeled high risk um and not go on like mislabeled as high risk. So you're labeled as high risk, but you're not gonna commit another crime later it was twice as high you know, twice twice as much for black people relative to white people in the US. It's terrible. And this system was widely used in the US. So I think through seeing those you know, examples like this, through th- seeing case studies, students can get, I hope, a sense of like, OK, here's a problem here. Here's what's going on. So yes, yeah, start with the concrete. And then don't leave it at the level of criticism because it's very easy to say, ah, they should have done better. But the question is how? The question is how? Um, so stay the concrete yes you know show some of the theoretical work that's out there i think the list of principles that we have today are useful as a way to draw attention to some risks that are prevalent that people talk about a lot they're not exhaustive um they're not universal there's just you know but we can gesture right so we can start start with okay here are some examples some things that happened. You know, if you're teaching in a country that relevant things have happened to this country with respect to AI, talk about those things. Talk about your own context. Um, then you can be like, okay, like we actually do have some principles. And yet yeah, this is still happening. Ask the engineers, like what, like what could you do? How could you avoid this? Think concretely, you know?